This is Chrissy May, and you're listening to the Airborne Mind Show. guys, Ms. Bahawk here. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome back to the show. Before we get started, if you've been enjoying what we've been putting out, head over to theairbornemind.com and grab your free movement audit checklist. Remember, this is a way for you to figure out you know, if you had an extra 10 to 15 minutes, where would you focus your time and energy? Uh, there's also some cool assessments there from some of the guests that we've had on the show. And you also get a, a couple other uh, training videos, guides, and uh, other resources uh, that you might find useful as well. So once again, head over to theairbornemind.com, sign up to get your free movement audit checklist. If you are somebody who's looking for accessory work that is purposeful, that's going to improve your pressing strength, your pulling strength, and honestly just help you become more stable and in control regardless of what movements you're thrown into, check out Mobility Through Movement. It's coming out on January 2nd, and uh, you can reserve your spot and get it at the pre-sale price right now at theairbornemind.com slash MTM. It consists of bodybuilding and gymnastics work, uh, and it goes well beyond just sets and reps. Okay, there, It's much more than just a program. There's tons of other concepts and, and, and training videos that will be included. So go ahead, check out some details, see if it is right for you at theairbornemind.com slash MTM. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. If I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm definitely listening to audiobooks. And uh, if you have never tried it out, I get it. I have been hesitant before too, um, but this is your chance. If you head over to audibletrial.com slash the Airborne Mind Show, you can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. And uh, if you want a book that I would recommend, and this has been recommended by a few guests on the show, I'm currently going through it. I'm about halfway done. It is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. It's one of those that you're going to want to read a few times through. So once again, that is audibletrial.com slash the Airborne Mind Show. Today we get to chat with Chrissy May Cagney. I am so excited for this because Chrissy is such a genuine and amazing human being. I was so honored to have her on the show. She's battled with substance abuse for over a decade long and is working on a nonprofit that provides free gym memberships to those that are struggling with recovery. She is the founder of Donuts and Deadlifts, Elo Supply Company, and Black Iron Gym. Chrissy has had the opportunity to work with an NFL franchise, and she was voted one of the 30 most inspirational people under 30. She's also the author of Flexible Dieting. In this episode, some things that we chat about are what behaviors hold people back from reaching their full potential with nutrition, what to do if you're chasing a functional aesthetic, and we talk backpacking, trends from adopting a plant-based diet, business lessons, and much more. So with that being said, please enjoy the show. Hey, Chrissy, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. You're very welcome, sir. Um, so I first came across, you know, your work with the first copy of Flexible Dieting. And, you know, since then, you have so much going on. You have, uh, you're the host on your own podcast called the Ironcast podcast. Um, you are the founder of Donuts and Deadlifts, Elo Supply, um, and Black Iron Gym in Nevada. So lots going on. Um, take me back to the beginning of your journey, um, just to give a little bit of background for maybe people who may not know. Like the very beginning? The very beginning. 
Okay, so basically, my parents were always very active, and my mom was a personal trainer um, pretty much from when we moved to Reno. So I started personal training my freshman year of college is like a college job because basically my mom got me a job. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually kind of liked it. And so finished college and then didn't really know where I was going to go with my life. Um, what I was doing was traveling down to SoCal and doing like boot camps mm -hmm. type thing when boot camps were all the rage. Right. And right. so that kind of like picked up a lot. And next thing you know, I had like 60 people coming to my boot camps. Wow. And I was having a lot of fun with it. And then while I was down in SoCal, um, I got basically an invite to go down and work at a really well-known gym down there, uh, Rise Above Fitness. And so instead of going to law school, I went and worked at a gym in Southern California. Very cool. <laughs> and it actually worked out well for me, given where I'm at now. But I was down there for a few years, and then I uh, got sober and realized Southern California wasn't the best environment for me, which brought me to New York City. And that's kind of where I started to flourish with all my businesses um, that's where I wrote the books and then started donuts and deadlifts, opened the gym actually from while still living in New York city. Awesome. Um, what, what came first? Was it the, was it the book that happened first? Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of living in New York and I knew I always wanted to open a gym. I didn't foresee it happening before I even turned 30. I thought that was like a 35 year old Chrissy goal. Right. Uh, so I was still, doing a lot of online coaching with like programming, training, uh, obviously macros and stuff. And so I got full, like I had more clients than I could even handle. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of people that just wanted like basic information on macro tracking and counting. Cause there wasn't a lot of basic stuff out there at the time. So I wrote that like really quick, abrasive <laughs> 30 page <laughs> PDF. And then that from there's kind of where everything took off. Right. I, that's sort of 50,000 copies. I was expecting it to like give it to like a thousand people maybe. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just went. Wow. Um, and then how did a donuts and deadlifts come about? Oh man, that was a total joke. Um, I used to bring donuts to the gym every Sunday and I would joke around because I do donuts and deadlift. Yeah. And so I used to just use the hashtag donuts and deadlifts as a joke. And then after I moved to New York city, one of my clients, as like a Christmas gift or something, sent me a shirt that just said like hashtag donuts and deadlifts on it. And I was like, kind of funny, kind of stupid. Like uh, my buddy who does brand like identity and stuff was like, let me just make you a logo and sell one run of t-shirts and just see how it goes. And I was like, no, it's just stupid. No one's going to buy it. I'm going to be embarrassed. He's like, please, I'll pay for it. <laughs> so I did that one run of t-shirts and then it, it sold out in like five minutes. And I was like, whoa, people think this is cool. That is amazing. Um, well, so if we if we tap into, you know, let's if we start with the book, um, you know, knowing like the calculations and knowing, I guess, the process behind how to follow flexible dieting, um, mm -hmm. that's one thing. But, you know, I think, you know, you've put over what, 10,000 people, you've coached over 10,000 people at this point. What yeah. like what behaviors have you noticed uh, hold people back from like reaching their true potential when it comes to like really following this or any type of, you know, nutrition program? People get too hung up on what's working for other people. Okay. And I can't ev almost every single client I've ever had have said like, oh, well, my friend does this or this guy at the gym does this or so-and-so on Instagram posts that she eats this much or, and from, and people get, people forget that we're all individual organisms and our body all responds to things completely differently. Like someone who's built exactly like me, what works for me might not work for that person. And so I think the biggest hang up 
is rather than people focusing on themselves and doing everything they can to reach their goal, they're busy just looking at what everybody else is doing or what else is out there. And I think that's a huge hang up with people. So when it comes to, you know, I guess like your coaching process, do you, do you guys dig into that a little bit? Um, like into kind of, you know, fixing habits and behaviors and, and shifting mindsets a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I never, I mean, I know my scope and if somebody has a lot of like deeply, deeply rooted issues, I'll make sure they see the appropriate person that can help them. Um, but definitely one thing I ask everybody upon signing up with Black Iron Nutrition is what is your biggest problem with food and why have you had hangups in the past? And if we can figure that out, I mean, nutrition's easy. The, the macro part and that people know what they should and shouldn't be eating and people know, people are pretty well aware of like what a healthy portion size looks like. Right. Uh, and if, if you can kind of like get to the bottom of things from a mental standpoint and psychological standpoint, nutrition's easy. So what are some of those uh, big hangups that you've come across? Like I know you mentioned, um, you know, people looking at what everybody else is doing, um, but are there a couple others that maybe stand out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, another huge one is macro hoarding where people don't eat all day and try in order to try to like hoard their macros for the nighttime. And that seems to be a huge one. Mm -hmm. And another huge one is people being too lazy to just plan like going, you know, just the wing it approach, which doesn't work for anybody really. Uh, well, it works for, it works for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it, yeah, it comes down to people like not wanting to plan and, you know, people not putting in that 15 minutes on a Sunday evening to like pre-enter their food for the week. And it just comes down to like, I mean, a lot of it's laziness without people even realize that they're being lazy, so to speak. Right. But another thing I really see with a lot of women is like, um, like women love to self-sabotage for some reason. I don't, I mean, I've never really had that problem, but I'll have someone get on the scale and hit an all-time low weight or they reach their goal weight and it's almost not like they want to reward themselves with food so to speak but that they think that since they saw that number once they can just overdo it for a whole week and then they set themselves back again so um, usually we can pinpoint what people's main problem is we can prevent all that but it's hard I mean it takes a lot of like really getting to know my clients so Yeah. Do you, do you find that um, you know, there's people who are maybe super attached to like a certain type of result and maybe once they kind of get there, they realize that okay, this is not as like this is not the end all be all. Like uh maybe a lot of people are assuming that, you know, maybe once I get to this point, I won't uh I won't ever struggle with planning or prepping or everything's just gonna be automatic for me. Whereas it, it, you know, maybe for you, but maybe it doesn't go away for everybody. You just become a little bit better at kind of managing that. And that's even how it is like as someone who suffered from an eating disorder for a long time, I explain to people, my eating disorders never, it's the same as me being a recovering addict alcoholic. Those things never go away. I, I will always be those things. It just comes down to learning how to better manage it in a more healthy manner. And so that goes with, with eating disorders, but even like, um, I've had clients who have a weight loss goal and they, they want to see that certain number on the scale no matter how many times a day I can tell them it, we don't want to attach ourselves to a number on the scale. Um, and they hit that number on the scale and then it's either they want to push it farther or they realize like they did it too aggressively or anything like that. And it just comes down to, again, like it's, it's usually women. I mean, obviously men suffer with it too as well, but it, it comes down to like teaching women to have a healthy relationship with themselves and with food in general, opposed to a healthy relationship with a number they want to see on the scale. 
Gotcha. And uh, how do you, you know, uh, how do you handle all those? Like, how do you handle setting yourself up for success? Like what processes or what habits are kind of non-negotiables for you so that you know that, all right, I'm going to stay on track if I do maybe these set of things? With nutrition? Yeah. And and we can maybe branch out uh, into other aspects too. Um. It's been a, it's been really interesting for me. I'm one of those people who I gain and lose weight very easily. I mean, I'll fluctuate 10 pounds in two days. Um, that's just how my body is. So I, I definitely have a sweet spot because if I lose weight too quickly, my training suffers. And if I gain weight too quickly, I get really bummed out. <laughs> so I know for me, it comes down to just, I have to weigh myself every day, but I don't care what the scale says. That's just you, that's just a tool for me to measure fluctuations in my weight. I have a very healthy relationship with the scale because I don't care if it says 140 or if it says 160. I just care that it's consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I weigh myself every day. Uh, I Ever since I switched to a plant-based diet, it's definitely been different. Um, before the plant-based diet, I tracked very loosely, and I knew that I just had to be aware of everything I was putting in my body. I didn't, I don't fixate on a certain set of numbers, but I loosely track everything I eat to build awareness. Mm -hmm. Since I've switched to a more vegan diet, I say more vegan because there's still a couple things I'm having a hard time with and I've made certain exceptions for myself. Um, I'm not tracking. I'm going largely off how I feel right now just to get more in tune with this really big change I've inflicted upon myself. Mm -hmm. And I think once I have the vegan thing very down, I'll go back to tracking again. Um, you know, piggybacking off of the vegan thing, like what what was maybe your why or what kind of you know sparked your curiosity enough to uh, commit to something like this? It's strictly moral for me. About a year ago, I had a friend who showed me a lot of doc, and I understand that there's a bias there, and I understand those documentaries are made for reason, but it doesn't change, it doesn't change the fact that those things still happen. Right. So I stopped. I switched to pescatarian in March. And I was okay with it. And then all of a sudden one night I was eating salmon and I got really sad. And I was like, I can't, I just right now at this point in my life, from a moral standpoint, I can't eat animals. And then, I mean, it goes, I just started doing more research and like looked into like dairy production and all that stuff. And I, I got sad. Mm-hmm. So I just stopped eating it all. But, um, I went like full hard vegan gnarly right at first. And then I, I came to the realization that, I'm, I define what it means to have a plant-based diet. So since then, I've incorporated eggs back into my diet. But they're eggs from one of my employees. She has a ranch and a farm. She told me what she feeds her chickens. I've seen how they're taken care of. They lay 12 eggs regardless a day. So I've incorporated eggs back into my diet that come from her um, type thing. What are some challenges you feel like that came with that? Like when you decided to do this, was yeah. there, did you kind of already know, uh, going into it, have you dealt with this before and coached other people? So you had an idea or was yeah. it a huge learning curve? Um, the hardest thing for me is eating out. It's basically impossible at this point. I mean, we went to a restaurant the other night and I couldn't even get a salad because there was, you know, remnants in the dressing or I, they had like portobello mushroom, like fried portobello mushrooms, but they had like dusted them in egg. You know, it was, I couldn't right. eat anything. So luckily there's a, good amount of like vegan restaurants out there now, but I never am going to be that person that makes everybody accommodate a choice I made. Um, so it definitely eating out has come to a halt for the most part. Um, the hardest thing for me personally, I have liver disease and I need to be really careful with my sodium and eating meat substitutes puts my sodium completely through the roof. 
So I don't, gotcha. I, I can do maybe one meat substitute a day, whereas I have vegan friends who can have them five times a day because sodium doesn't affect them the way it affects me. So for me, it's just mostly been the sodium thing and then uh, eating out. Do you feel any different? Like, have you noticed any trends in terms of maybe energy, mood, uh, or just, you know, day to day? How are you feeling with the new diet? My digestion is incredible now. I mean, I, it used to be where I'd eat like any, like just depending on where I got it, you know, like I could have steak or any, anything like that. And my body has a really hard time digesting in general. Like I've always had that problem. And I've noticed since I've omit animal products, uh, my digestion's a lot better. Very cool. Um, yeah. Okay, now let me ask you this. So if you had, let's say, a couple billion dollars, right? And you had <laughs> I a, like where this is going. <laughs> you had a staff of 40 people, and these 40 mm-hmm. people are, you know, the top thinkers of your choice and, and really top performers um, who can just get shit done. And, yeah. you know, you wanted to use that to, you know, make some type of impact or some type of change. Um, what would you use that for? Hmm. I mean, when I think about just things that I'm passionate about, um, I'm quite a humanitarian. I, I've often told that I have an issue of seeing the good in everybody, even the people who don't deserve to have the good seen in them. (laughs) Um, all my employees tell me I have a bleeding heart, you know, anyone can come into my gym and say that they can't afford a gym membership. And if it's for a kind of good reason, I'm like, I'll pay for it. I'll handle it. So that kind of just brings me to sobriety and um, knowing that struggle and, you know, always having that demon, I would definitely use that money and that team of people to create some sort of program to help, you know, recovering addicts and alcoholics get better. I don't know how I'd use it, but that's definitely what I'm most passionate about. Very cool. How do you yeah. feel like, um, you know, that whole experience has shaped you into, you know, who you are and and what you do and how you kind of carry yourself today? I am the least judgmental person that's probably ever existed. I mean, I've done really, really terrible things, uh, whether it be to strangers or whether it be to, you know, friends, family. I stole so much money from my parents when I was using. um, And so anybody could tell me anything about themselves. And I, there's nothing anybody could tell me that I would ever judge them on because I know what it's like to have demons and to, you know, do wrong by people, do wrong by yourself, anything like that. And, um, I like, I really pride myself on the fact that anybody, whether they have never met me before, whether they've known me for 10 years can come to me with anything and tell me anything. And it's in a safe place. That's amazing. Um, so we're going to jump around a little bit, but what, what drew you to powerlifting versus, uh, you know, other iron sports or maybe even like, let's say bodybuilding, uh, Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit. What, what is it about powerlifting that, uh, just got you hooked? Um, it started off again, back when I was at rise above fitness, uh, I was doing CrossFit a little bit, but I got made fun of a lot by a lot of my friends when it was, st- you know what I mean? Before yeah. it has the respect it has now. Cause it was pretty like made fun of widely for a while. And it, right. that's not really right. the case anymore. So I did like a powerlifting meet for shits and gigs down when I was at RAF. And I mean, like I was relatively strong for my size. I think it was only like 125 pounds at the time. But I mean, I was deadlifting almost 300 pounds at that weight. You know, like I wasn't a bad, I wasn't not strong. And then I had never Olympic weightlifted in my life. So I don't know. And then it just seemed like um, I was kind of like bouncing around between bodybuilding and CrossFit when I was living in New York. And then Mark Bell had me on his power cast 
and we talked about like powerlifting then and he's like you should just get back into powerlifting and so it was kind of like a joke at first and then him and jesse burdick were like yeah we'll coach you for free it'll be fun i was like okay and that's just kind of how it started that's awesome okay yeah um, and now your gym in Nevada, that's not strictly a powerlifting gym or anything. It's it's no. opening to everybody, anybody and everybody, right? So it's Black Iron Gym, and I have, I also own CrossFit Nerling, which is our CrossFit affiliate. Mm-hmm. And, and we have Black Iron Barbell and Black Iron Power. So we essentially have three programs within the gym. And it's kind of up to about probably a little over half our memberships CrossFit. And then the other half is a combination. We do have some bodybuilders and then um, – Powerlifters, weightlifters. Okay. Um, Now, this is uh, a question from a listener. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this can be related to, I guess, nutrition, uh, training, whatever it might be. But how do you handle, you know, off days or falling off the wagon? Like, does that even happen to you? Or, you know, are you at this point of automaticity and, like, you know, you have shit dialed in? Or do you Uh, still experience that? (laughs) And what do you do? How do you handle it? Like in regard to what, like training, nutrition, or any anything? Yeah, let's go with keep it nice and broad. Okay. Um, I find that I have more off days than I don't, but I've gotten to the point where I just like I have I have like a ritual where I, if I get if I find myself, I mean it's rare to make me angry at this point in time, but if I find myself getting upset about anything, I ask myself, are you even going to remember this in six months? And 99% of the time, the answer is, are you even going to remember this in a month? Shit. So 99% of the time, the answer is going to be no. Uh, So that's kind of one thing I really ask myself. As far as my training is concerned, since I'm not trying to compete in anything anytime soon, because mentally it's not the best for me when I get overly competitive and I'm injured, training, bad training days are like all the time now. And I just tell myself, like, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm in the gym doing something the fact that I can't hit my percentages or I feel, I feel weak today peaks and valleys, man. You know, like that's one of the biggest things my coaches taught me. You can't have good training days without bad ones, you know, and it makes the good ones that much better. And it makes the PRs, even though they're few and far between at this point, that much better. Um, with nutrition, (laughs) if I fall off with nutrition, all you can do, you can't change it. You just got to get back on the horse and do better, you know, and that's kind of all there is to it. But it seems like the, the, the roughest days I have is when something happens, you know, I've got 15 employees now. So if something happens with an employee or work related, but it just comes down to just not, I just don't let shit get to me anymore. Right. What, what like, you know, three pieces of advice would you give to somebody who wants to dial in their nutrition? Uh, you know, maybe they're not super happy with their body image or they're, they've been trying to dial in their nutrition, but they keep falling off the boat and they're just struggling with like a path to kind of follow. What would you tell them? I would tell them to one, find someone to hold them accountable. Accountability is huge. And it's funny because like I have nutrition clients who own nutrition who are well known for owning nutrition businesses and they hire me because they need somebody to check into every week. They know what they're doing, but the accountability thing's huge. Like I've done it before. If I was at a point right now where I wanted to go under like extreme body transformation or compete in anything again, I'd probably hire somebody to keep me accountable. So I had someone to check into. So find someone to hold you accountable, whether you want to hire a coach or tell a friend, anything, anything like that. Number two is consistency. You have to be consistent and being consistent for a week isn't good enough. Usually being consistent for a month isn't good enough. Like you, you know, you need to commit and you need to be consistent for a prolonged period of time. And C would be 
to find something that actually works for you. It doesn't have to be tracking macros. It doesn't have to be paleo. It doesn't have to be vegan. You know, don't do what everybody else is doing. Find something that you are going to enjoy and not be miserable on and that you can keep up with. Like just because everyone's tracking macros right now doesn't mean it's the only way to do things. Right. So probably go ahead. No. So I was just saying it's, it's more so about like the process that you'll actually stick to. Exactly. And that's the same thing with your training too. Like people who, if you hate your training program, you're going to resent your training. And like, there's so many programs out there, find something that you're going to enjoy and stick to. And it's the same with nutrition. Like Probably 20% of my clients don't even track macros because they don't want to. It's not fun for I mean, To me, it's like a math problem. It's like food Tetris, and I love it. But there's people who don't want to do that. So, you know, there's people who are like, I still just really want to eat paleo and go based off how I feel because that's what I'll stick to. I'm like, then we're going to do that. I'm not going to say, no, you have to track macros. Have you noticed, is there like a, you know, I'm sure maybe like the first three months of following anything or any type of process is a little bit difficult, like, you know, you're measuring or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. But does it significantly get easier after a certain point? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> what time period have you found that is? And, and uh, yeah. For me, after about a year of, of tracking, like tracking daily, I can look at any piece of meat and tell you how much it weighs, like to the closest half ounce. Like somebody can hold up a piece, like it's like an ongoing joke at the house. Like how much piece of chicken weigh? I'm like 6.2 and it'll be like <laughs> Wow. So yeah, like I know what a half a cup of rice looks like and I know I can go out to eat and look at my plate and probably get within a hundred calories because when you do it so much, but like it comes down, that's with anything you practice anything and you get better at it. And like, you have to do the work in order to be able to get to that point. Like I don't really, I don't remember the last time I got my food scale out, but I still track my food. I mean, I know what four ounces of tofu looks like at this point in time. Right. Right. Um, yeah. If if I opened your fridge, what staples would I find? Must what? Uh, Q's sitting here next to me. Do you know Kiana? No, Chucky. I do not. She's laying right here. Hey, Kiana. So we have four athletes living here. I'm the only vegan. Um, pickles are always in the fridge. Every type of mustard you can imagine. Every type of hot sauce you can imagine. I'm a mustard and hot sauce girl. There's always going to be tofu. There's always going to be almond milk. There's always going to be 15 types of non-dairy coffee creamer. <laughs> um, what else do we always have? Oreos. We always have Oreos in like um, every flavor ever. Ice cream in every – our freezer's all ice cream. Yeah. Um, a ton Pop of frozen fish. Popcorn. We're popcorn, popcorn people as well. Yeah. How about donuts? We like the donut thing's been tough for me because of the, the vegan switch. So we'll, we usually, if we're traveling, we will go out of our way to like get good donuts somewhere. But in town, there's only two good donut shops. And so we usually get them once or twice a week. Gotcha. We never have them at the house. We bring them to the gym and then they're usually gone before we leave. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, does, what does your morning routine look like? I get yeah. up. I have a morning routine. I get up at six every day usually sometimes five if the dogs wake me up but I'm always up before the sun which is kind of cool and kind of terrible sometimes mm -hmm. first thing I do is I come out into the living room and I make a pot of coffee for everybody and then I sit down and I skim through my emails and I delete any that are spam <laughs> and then I usually answer none and then I put the dogs in the car go to the dog park most days get to the gym and take care of gym stuff, take care of donuts and deadlift stuff, 
train and then answer client emails. Sometimes that's before noon and sometimes that takes me all day. <laughs> Would you describe yourself as a, um, like a morning bird or a night owl? So what's really funny about that is I suffer from insomnia. So up until I was probably 26, I would stay up till four in the morning and get all my work done at night. Um, and then now, ever since I've moved back home to Reno, the insomnia came back at the beginning of the year, but now it's like I'm asleep by 10 every night and up at five or six. And now I like the mornings. Perfect. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Now you're also super into reading and writing. Um, mm -hmm. What are some favorite books or recommended reading that you have for people? Hmm. I definitely read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of novels. That's kind of where I differ. I know so many of like my peers and stuff are really into nonfiction, which I'm not. Um, I like that that disconnect from everyday life. And when I'm reading, it's usually an escape for me, mm -hmm. opposed to if I'm reading about something that like is going to provoke thought with my businesses, then I just I can't turn my brain off, which is an issue as to why I don't sleep. So I'm a huge um, Dave Eggers fan. He's easily my favorite author. I love Cormac McCarthy. Um, I like those very like kind of like dark, twisted novels. Um, I just read a book called Before the Fall that was great. I usually, I pretty much just go on to like Amazon mm -hmm. and it'll book recommendations based off what I've bought. So and just filter through that. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty open to recommendations from, I'm kind of like a literature snob in a sense. So like it depends who's making the recommendations, but I've had a couple of people make me like incredible recommendations, which of course then like I learn about a new author and then go from there. Yeah. yeah. How about writing wise? Like, is there something you're working on right now? You don't have to give it away, but, um, what do you like to write about? Um, I actually took a lot of creative writing class. I was in journalism all through high school. Um, so I wrote for the school newspaper all through high school, which is kind of where I learned how to write. And then, um, I enjoy writing about experiences of my own. That's kind of like a release for me. So I have something like that kind of in the works. It's hard for me to write about myself in a positive light, which sounds really weird. Like if someone asked me to write like a bio or something about myself, I have a really hard time with it because I'm still really hard on myself. So I like writing about my experiences. Um, I definitely, my writing thrives when I'm at low points in my life. I'm a better writer when I'm sad, gotcha. but I'm not sad much anymore. But like, if I'm ever having like a tough day of like coping or dealing with something, I tend to write almost as kind of like a release or like my own form of therapy. And my writing people, when people read stuff like that, they love it. When I'm really like happy and over the moon, which is like 90% of the time, I, I just don't write. Gotcha. So yeah, that's um, why I writing's dark when right. I write about myself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we think about maybe donuts and deadlifts and we think about all the other, you know, apparel brands that are out there in, in our space, in the lifting community, um, what do you think makes a clothing brand stand out? Like what, uh, what, what is it about it that, you know, draws people to connect with right. you know, that person or that founder? I think originally, like, I think it, like the first thing you notice about an apparel company is the name. You know, obviously, and uh, Donuts and Delos was definitely, I mean, Caffeine and Kilos was, was out around the same time as me, but it was kind of like the first alliteration food brand, and I think that's kind of why it took off. It was just different at first, Yeah. but I think now, like, with the apparel, I mean, I, we give back a lot, 
you know, we sponsor a lot of stuff and, um, I donate, you know, I donated money to Equality Florida after the Orlando shooting. And, um, I definitely am very, I, I love all humans and all people and I want to help everybody as much as I can. And I, I think that that shows a lot with a lot of the stuff Donuts and Deadlifts does. Um, the general manager of my company is a transgender woman, you know, who's mm-hmm. well known in CrossFit and stuff like that. And I think that people see that I'm so big on diversity, whether it's like race, religion, anything like that. And I think people like to support a company like that. It just so happens it's kind of like a weird donuts and deadlift, you know, company. But I just think that um, I've put myself out there in the lifting community a lot on multiple levels. And I think that a lot of times I think people are trying to support me, not necessarily the brand, which is really cool for me because I always try to turn around and like do cool stuff with the money we make. So. So going from there, if you were to kind of look back to the very early beginnings all the way to now, what are some, you know, maybe business lessons that you found are absolutely essential that maybe you wish you knew earlier on too? Um, have good software. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just kind of like being okay with asking for help is huge. I think I was really stubborn at the beginning and I felt like I needed like that I was able to do, learn everything on my own, which I didn't even know what the fuck I was doing at the, at first. So like if, you know, asking for help is important and if it's a good, if, if this person's a good person, they're going to want to help you. Like I, I have people reach out to me all the time and I don't have, I'm not trying to keep secrets from anybody, you know, especially since my brand's pretty unique. And so that's a huge one. Um, another big one is to don't get overly excited when you have momentum. And there was a point in time where there was a ton of momentum with donuts and deadlifts. And I was trying to come out with so much stuff all the time. And I think it overwhelmed people because we would go to the website and there was like 40 shirts to choose from. And people were, and like, nobody wants to sit around and sift through 40 shirts. So keep it simple. Keep your design simple with apparel, like the, the gimmicky, messy, crazy designs, at least in my opinion, don't go far. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Let's talk about backpacking. Were you mm-hmm. always an outdoors person? Uh, is this something yeah. recent? No, I uh, I started backpacking in 2010 when I still lived here, um, and that's when I got really into it. And so when I moved down to LA, it kind of stopped because I was in LA and there wasn't a lot of backpacking to do down there. And then the plan with moving to New York was to go upstate and uh, do backpacking trips, and we never did it. So when we got back here, I was super excited about it. Uh, and then we ended up just doing five trips this summer, five or six. Where did you end up going? Uh, so Reno's right at the base of Lake Tahoe. I don't think a lot of people, like we're in the Tahoe national forest. Mm-hmm. Well, people hear Reno and they think it's like some fucking shithole cause of that TV show. And like, I'm looking at <laughs> now and like, I've got like mountains and snow and trees. I mean, Reno's up in, I mean, my house is a mile high, Wow. you know, it's, we're, we're up there. So we are, we lit, we're in the mountains. It's like high desert in the mountains. So we did a couple trips to Desolation Wilderness, um, all over the Tahoe National Forest, and then my boyfriend and I went to Montana and did Glacier National Park. Nice. So, I mean, I can, I can leave my front door and be in the forest at a trailhead in half an hour. Wow, okay. And uh, how did LO Supply kind of come about? Is it relatively new? Um, what kind of sparked that for you? <laughs> um, shopping for outdoorsy clothes. There's, it started off because a lot of stuff was like ill-fitted, you know, like even like I'm a huge Patagonia whore. I own so much Patagonia, but it's not 
definitely not designed for anybody who has a lot of muscular definition, you know, and we kind of noticed that with our group of friends. So we were saying like, Oh, we should make uh, a pair like outdoorsy apparel for athletes. That's kind of how it started. And like, it just seems like every backpacking trip, we think of something that would be like a cool thing to have while backpacking. And so I talked to the printer for donuts and deadlifts because he does a lot of like um, brand identity and helps people build their brands. And I was like, what if I like started a outdoor company like spun off from donuts and deadlifts? And so, yeah, we just went with it and actually it sounds like it's going to be coming out next week officially, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, everything right now is just geared toward an outdoor life and LO it's E L L O. And so the donuts and deadlifts motto is eat, lift, live. Mm -hmm. We added the O for outdoor. So it's an acronym for eat, lift, live outdoor. So yeah, it's basically going to be a, you know, outdoors, outdoor gear set up for athletes and yeah, we'll see what happens with it. I'm and excited. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of people, um, that are super interested in that. Like, uh, a lot, there's a lot more outdoorsy people than you would actually, uh, imagine. It, yeah. It really surprised me. Um, when I started posting all like the backpacking and hiking pictures and stuff, how many people either reached out to me about wanting to get into it or people who were like, who used to do it. And then they, you know, have gotten back into it since because it's such a good workout and it's like, it's just such like an awesome experience. And I think once people do it, once you get hooked, like Chloe, who went with me the first time, she, she's never been camping, hates outside, hates outdoors. And I was actually going to go alone and she had a freak out and she's like, I can't let you go backpacking alone. I'll just go with you. I'll go for one night and that's it. She went one night and completely hooked. She's like Mrs. Outdoors now. That's awesome. So it's worth trying. Yeah, and I mean, I've never once heard anybody say that they went out into the wilderness and had a terrible time. Right, right. right. So um, you said something there about um, aesthetics that I wanted to like touch on really quick. Um, you know, I guess, uh, and I heard Coach Glassman say this in uh, another interview recently, and he said that you know, in the last decade or so, we've seen like almost like a new look kind of emerge, and it's 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 a very functional. Yeah aesthetic. Um, and you know, it's relatively new, but what would you say to maybe people who are still, cause I'm sure you get a lot of, uh, people who are super interested in, you know, uh, that aesthetics aspect versus performance, or maybe they want a little bit of both, but what is like, yeah. what are some key points to kind of keep in mind or understand when you're chasing uh, that goal? Um, I mean, it seems like there's people, there's always kind of like most people right now, like want this like happy median, I think for a long time, the aesthetics thing was really cool. And then the performance thing got really cool. And it, it seems like most of my clients now want to be strong, but they're willing to sacrifice performance for like a few visible abs. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it, I mean, it just comes down to, for again, don't compare yourself to anybody else. I get girls emailing me saying like, oh, I want to look like Brooke Entz. And it's like, well, you're probably never going to look like Brooke Entz. So it, it comes down to like creating a, a realistic goal um, for yourself and also realizing that like it takes work to get there. Um, and again, like another thing people need to realize if you want to lower your body fat, you, you're going to, you might have to be hungry from time to time. And that it's just, I tell my clients, you got to embrace the suck. Like yeah. I've got, a, you know, I've got clients that are fitness models and then when they have a shoot coming up, you know, if they're used to eating 2000 calories a day and they need to drop it to 1700, I'm like, this is your job. This is what you chose. Like you need to, be willing to deal with what you have to endure to, 
to reach that goal. See, I don't know. The aesthetics thing's crazy though, because there's people like who can eat on a deficit and that I'm, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Like how everybody's body responds completely differently to food. Yeah. Like there's people who, um, you, who need to be on a, like a deficit in order to obtain a certain amount of leanness. And then there's people who don't want to be on a deficit and they can still eat at maintenance and just add more conditioning, for example, and reach that same goal. And again, that just comes down to the individual. You're either going to have to eat less or train more if Got you want to reach that goal. And I think that CrossFitters like, um, I mean, cause most of my clientele is going to be CrossFitters. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. underestimate the, the, uh, power that is accessory work. I mean, there's a place for bodybuilding movements in CrossFit. I you totally know? agree with you. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because it's like you if you want to have a more aesthetic look, especially like if you're if it's your upper body or if you want like you know more defined legs, you probably need to add muscle to your legs in order to achieve that look. It doesn't come down to just eating at a deficit and losing weight. Like you might have to do some lunges or some step ups or some leg extensions or hamstring curls and stuff like that. Like it it goes a long way. So I tell a lot of my, you know, CrossFitters or even my weightlifters and powerlifters who are lifting really heavy all the time, like dial that back and add more accessory work and you're probably going to achieve a more aesthetic look if that's what you want to go for. And there's, you know, there's ways of, uh, I just did an episode with Marcus Philly and it was all about functional bodybuilding and, you know, pretty much like there are ways where you can, you know, chase that pump uh and get swole but at the same time you can maybe work a lot of those deficiencies that you may not get in your typical crossfit workout so like you know um doing single leg rdls and like adding an eccentric portion or unilateral loading uh there's Mm -hmm. lots of ways to kind of mess around with that so would you say like for uh, in terms of maybe making modifications to somebody's crossfit workouts would it be adding 10 15 extra minutes of accessory work would it be doing a little more conditioning, cutting back on certain things. Yeah, it that just comes down to the person. Like, obviously, if, if somebody, for example, like you have two types of people, someone who's underweight, like most men who want to put on more muscle for a better aesthetic look, or you have women who are slightly overweight who want to get more fat off. So, um, so many women are so quick to want to go to the, well, I'll just get on the airdyne for 30 minutes not realizing like having all those weighted movements in your conditioning, like your typical CrossFit watt is probably going to get you a lot farther from an aesthetic standpoint than getting on that airdyne for 20 or rowing, uh, rowing a 10 K or, you know, the shit like that. But, um, and then for example, like with a man who wants to gain weight, adding even just 15 minutes of like high volume accessory work every day will take someone so much farther. And then even too, like at black iron gym, we have no machines, none. Mm -hmm. So, um, on Friday, Friday's pump chase day, everybody chases the pump together on Friday, but we're using barbells and dumbbells to chase the pump. We're not using hammer strength machines. We just got a lat pull down, but it's like plate loaded, super old school, you know? So, I mean, we're all doing our body bodybuilding accessory work. We're doing like strict presses. Um, you know, like, high poles with a barbell, stuff like that. So stuff that's still functional, that's going to carry over into like weightlifting, powerlifting and CrossFit movements, opposed to just getting on like a leg extension machine at 24 hour fitness or, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you think of, you know, a holy shit moment that sums up all the holy shit moments in your life? Um, like on a positive note, like a holy shit, like I might be kind of successful type thing. Let's go with that one, and then and then let's go the other direction too. If uh, if that's what you were thinking okay. originally, um, there's been two 
two things. The first one was waking up to Mike Golick wearing a donuts and deadlift shirt on ESPN. I woke up to about a hundred text messages of people being like, how did you get a donuts and deadlift shirt on Mike Golick? And I was like, I don't even <laughs> know what's happening. And from that, and he was talking about donuts and deadlifts, the brand and how much he loved it. And that was like a holy shit. Like my brand's organically cool now type thing. Um, and that, I just remember being on cloud nine that whole day. Um, that was a holy shit business moment. I think that was super cool. Mm -hmm. My holy shit, not so great moment. I'm really going to put myself out here with this. I'm assuming a lot of people who have watched this already know about this. Um, I plagiarized in 2013, 14, Uh, very blatantly took somebody else's work, added some cuss words into it. It was actually right after the, the first book came out. I didn't get caught until Alan Argon caught it about six months later and kind of put me on blast on Facebook before talking to me. Um, reading things about myself from people who once looked up to me and were incredibly disappointed um, was a big holy shit, like, you're better than this moment for me. And it really opened my eyes to, like, even though it was a free article I put out and there was no malicious intent, I, it, there was not a money thing, nothing like that. It was just me being lazy after writing that book. Reading things about myself from people who genuinely looked up to me that were disappointed was a huge, like, holy shit, you need to be a better person and make this right moment. And I think that that was, like, a really defining time in who I've become as a person and, like, and in my career as well. Like, mm-hmm. it's not fucking okay. That's not cool at all whatsoever. And I was humiliated and embarrassed. But, you know, I owned it and I put it out there. I was like, this is what I did. Um, there's people who will never forgive me for that. And there's people who are always going to call me a plagiarizer you know, type thing. But, um, that was a huge, holy shit. Like you're well respected in this industry and you need to act like a professional type thing. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, that was definitely another huge turning point in my career as to things I needed to do different and be a more honest person. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's uh, huge and that takes a lot to uh, kind of come out and openly <laughs> say that, you know, uh, yeah. very cool. Um, now if yeah. you had, let's say one year to live and, everything you've accomplished was wiped out and you had to start over and you wanted to get back to where you are now, what are maybe the one, two, three things that you would really distill down your focus on, uh, and just, you know, hammer away? Do you want me to be completely honest? Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to get to where I am now. Okay. And, uh, I, any reason? <laughs> um, I miss my privacy sometimes. Um, I, I miss, you know, like I, it just feels like there's, it's like I can't do things without being under a microscope at times. I can't go do a powerlifting meet and just do it for me. It turns into a whole crazy cavity owner. And I'm, I'm not a great powerlifter, you know what I mean? And so it just seems like there's a lot of times where every, everything I go do, it has to be like a, a thing or an event or I don't know. And I definitely miss my privacy. And I think if I was told I only had a year left to live, I'd probably sell all my stuff and go travel the world with my boyfriend. That's amazing. I have any social media. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, who would you say your biggest influences are? And maybe this could be, you know, uh, it can be broad. So maybe it's nutrition. Maybe it's just in life in general. Um, I think at the, at the beginning of things, my biggest influence was definitely Lane Norton. He's really stuck by my, I mean, a lot of people don't like him now. He, I know he can be aggressive, but he's really stuck by my side through a lot. He helped me get through the whole plagiarism thing. There was another accusation of plagiarism from somebody that wasn't true. And this person spread that rumor and I got 
put on blast and Lane actually had helped me with that project. And he mm-hmm. came out and said like, no, she absolutely did not put, you know, and so he's really stuck by my side. And from a nutrition standpoint, he's been a huge, the biggest influence of mine with what I've done. Um, I don't know about, about training. Matt Vincent's definitely a huge inspiration of mine. He also happens to be my best friend now, but he's the person that made me realize like, I can't define myself based off how my training's going in the gym. So as far as like, I mean, I'm even using his mug right now, kick today in the dick. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's like his motto. And you know, like he, he just lives every single day to its fullest. And he's been a huge inspiration for me there. Very cool. Very Um, cool. What are some things that you're super excited about right now? Like what, you know, you've done a lot in the nutrition space. You've, uh, you know, helped a lot of people, had a lot of impact. Um, What are some things, you know, looking forward that you're just super excited to tackle? Um, getting this nonprofit off the ground for, uh, to pay for gym memberships for people in recovery. Um, I've got a couple of gyms on board with what we do at black iron where anybody who's recovering from alcoholism or addiction, we give them a free gym membership. It's kind of like a safe place. So I've had like Daniel Tominski reach out to me and, you know, a couple of big crossfitters, Sam dancer who own gyms who are going to offer the same. So I really look forward, um, to starting that nonprofit to be able to help people, you know, on a larger scale, not just, you know, in Reno or through my friends in other cities. And I'm really excited about Ello. Yeah. I mean, got a lot of ideas for it. And I think to start out with, we're just going to start putting a parallel because I know that. Um, I'm looking into uh, dehydrated backpacking meals. Okay. To optimize, you know, macros geared towards athletes. Because as of right now, a lot of the stuff that's out there is like, super high sodium, low protein. It's like carbs and sodium. And, um, I definitely want to create a product more geared towards, um, athletes mm-hmm. for backpacking and hiking. So that's something I'm really excited about. Uh, and then what I would eventually like to do is have like LO excursions where we plan, you know, six day trips to Glacier National Park or stuff like that. And people can sign up and we do backpack like large backpacking groups. Very cool. Um, going yeah. back to the uh, the nonprofit, could you mm-hmm. dig into some details there? Maybe if there's a you know coaches listening who are interested in that, how does that work? I haven't, I haven't picked a name yet. Um, the way we, as of right now, I've had people contact me to volunteer to to pay for someone's membership, so they almost act as like a sponsor for that person to pay for their gym membership, which obviously helps me out financially, and so I can pay my coaches who are you know, coaching these people, especially since most of the people that come in want to do CrossFit. Um, so basically my criteria is just that as of right now, it's that you have to have under five years of sobriety. You have to, you know, be pretty newly sober. You have to be actively doing something in your recovery. Like I don't, I choose not to go to AA anymore, but I still treat myself, you know, through other ways. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's still very like rough outline because I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do it. But as of right now, I've just, you know, let a lot of people know that Black Iron Gym is a safe place for anybody going through recovery. Very and there's um, Leah West. Mm-hmm. She um, has even mentioned to me that she's doing like almost not quite AA meetings, but like meetings where people show up to the gym and they talk for 15, 20 minutes and then do a workout. And the only criteria is that you have to be sober for 24 hours. So even someone, you know, like who wants to get sober is having a hard time with it, who still could do well in like a sober environment. 
she makes it open to everybody like that. So that's another thing that she kind of inspired me that we're going to get the ball rolling on at Black Iron in the new year. That's amazing. Um, what should a you know what should somebody listening, whether they're a coach or athlete, uh, take away from this podcast? How can they kind of make themselves better today from listening to this? Um, my biggest thing is just be fucking nice to people. People need it. You know, like people need to be treated well and need to be nice too. And like one thing Sam Dancer told me about a year ago when I was going through a really hard time in my life is um, Sam has always told me, you know, be nice to everybody, even mean people because they need it the most. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've just found that being aggressive with people or being too stern or being shitty, like it doesn't get you anywhere. Absolutely not. And like um, do everything you know, everything should come from like a good place in your heart. And like people see that and people are going to want to support people with big hearts who treat everybody nice and kind. And I think, I think part of why I've, I've gone far is because people have seen a huge change in me, especially in like the past three or four years. But, um, I'm just nice to everybody. I have no reason to ever be mean to anybody. And I used to not be like that. I used to be a very mean person. I call people out on the internet and be a bully. And it, it, it got me a large social media following for a while, but nobody wanted to support anything I do. They just wanted to watch the shit show, you know? So, I mean, it just comes down to like, if you're a gym owner, treat every single member that walks in your gym nicely and call them by their first names, you know, and make them realize that like they're an important part of your life. Anybody, if you go to the grocery store, <laughs> treat your checker with respect and call them by their name, just shit like that. Right. Okay. Um away don't leave it in the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> awesome well how how can we support your journey you know where can we learn more about you um you know where can we point people to um if anyone wants to read my book you can buy it on amazon i donate a hundred percent of my royalty check every month to a different charity um so that's how you could support the cause uh donutsanddeadlifts.com is my apparel company ellosupplyco.com it's probably going to launch next week um, you can come and train at my gym if you're ever in Reno, Nevada, Black Iron Gym. Awesome. Well, yeah. uh, I'll get all that stuff linked up in the show notes, but yeah, I just wanted yeah. to acknowledge you for, you know, the impact that, uh, you've had on people and, uh, and the world. And, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do, uh, to do this. I think, uh, people are going to really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I finally figured out Skype too. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. I know you're probably driving right now or doing something else, but don't forget to head over to theairbornemind.com and grab your free movement audit checklist. If you want to check out some of the details behind the Mobility Through Movement program, you can see that either in the show notes or at theairbornemind.com slash mtm. And if you really enjoyed this episode, remember the best compliment you can give is by sharing it with somebody else who might enjoy it, sharing it somewhere on the web, or heading over to iTunes and leaving us a review. That would be phenomenal. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I always love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much once again for joining me. Until next time.